Chapter 12, Darker Days, in 1965 the unsteady feeling at Woodmont persisted. We were traveling less, and the banquets were not as exciting as they once were. I was happy because I was finding my place at school. I was on every sports team with my best friend, Kenny, and my boys. I even joined the Boy Scouts. Father let me attend their annual summer jamboree. While I was away from the movement, I got to do things just like the other children. I jumped off the cliffs at a swimming hole and swam around with my shirt off. Just like everybody else. At Woodmont, Father had been talking less and less frequently, even to me. He didn't stand to speak before they played his old sermons anymore either. In late summer, 1965, he started missing the banquets, then, by the first week in September, he stopped coming altogether. Where's father? I asked Happy. He shrugged, is he sick? I asked, father doesn't get sick. He's God, a follower replied, everybody around the table was quiet during the meal. The feast seemed hollow without father there to bless the food. Finally, on the morning of September 11th, Happy came to my room and woke me up, something happened, Tommy, he said. I sat up and brushed the sleep out of my eyes. What is it? Father Divine threw his body over to the other side, Tommy, Happy said, my heart sunk. My reality came crashing down. I knew I was wearing my feelings on my face when Happy said, don't be sad, Tommy. He's not dead. Happy left me to grieve alone. I went down to my cave and stayed there for a few hours. Images of father were running through my head. I remembered the words he'd said to me, Woodmont is your home and you will live here and be taken care of for the rest of your life. That was his promise. The man who had offered me salvation was gone. When mother heard I was upset, she sent for me. Just before lunch one of the secretaries came to get me, go to mother's office, she said. Where's her office? Father's old office, she replied. Mother had moved right in. I wasn't sure how the followers were going to like mother moving into father's place. She was a controversial addition to the peace mission when she was brought in. She started doing office work as a young Canadian recruit. Her birth name was Edna Rose Richings, which she later changed to Sweet Angel. Then, when she was just 21 years old and her passport was about to expire, she proposed to Father Divine, then 65 years old. The two were married in a secret ceremony in the summer of 1946 in Washington, D.C., Divine told his followers he was marrying her because she contained the spirit of his much-loved first wife. Panina, who had died in 1943. Panina was a six-foot-two African-American woman known first as Sister Penny and then as Mother Divine. Among Father Divine's followers, this never-before-discussed concept of spiritual reincarnation was not taking, and they were right to be skeptical, not just for the doctrinal problems this created within Father's teachings, but also because Richings was born nearly twenty years before Panina's death, nevertheless, Divine and Richings acted as a unit and moved to Philadelphia. I walked into the octagon-shaped room with the red carpet, the place where I met Father Divine and where he later told me the truth about not being a deity. Instead of his smiling face, I was greeted by Mother. She looked stern, peace, Mother, I managed. I was trying hard not to show my sadness or my tears, 
Tommy, you believe father was God, right? She asked. The question seemed very pointed, of course, I replied, keeping my promise to father not to tell his secret. Then you know he is coming back, she said coldly. He is God. He has just cast aside this body. He is coming back. Anybody who cries is not a true believer, understand? I looked at her and nodded. You will be meeting the followers, Tommy, from all over the world. You will need to show them how to be strong. I agreed, we are moving father to the solarium for now. Then we will build a shrine to celebrate his life on the property. They put him in our sunroom, at the back of the house. For several days. He was laid in the room with the slate-gray tile floor, with the windows open to let a breeze in, before a coroner came to treat his body and I was allowed to go in and view him with mother. When I saw with my own eyes that there was no life left in him, I felt hollow, as if a piece of my soul had left. I held back my feelings with her looking down at me. I didn't know it at the time, but reporters, who wanted to get a glimpse of the fallen leader, were being held at the gate. Late in September we marked a day to celebrate his life, never a funeral service because he was not supposed to be dead. Thousands of followers came during that time to Woodmont, and I stood by mother greeting them dutifully as they came. They were lined up out the door of the house waiting for their turn to meet mother and me. She wanted me close by her side in front of the followers. I think she wanted to show a united front, her and me together. I said peace to all the followers and shook the male followers' hands. I tried to be a bright spot and smile as I was told to do. Mother watched me closely, making sure I didn't cry, and making sure others kept their tears in check. If anybody started to cry, she would have them escorted off, saying they didn't truly believe. Her head of security, Mr. Leon, would tell them to leave and not bother coming back. After the memorial celebration, the banquets were somber. Mother jumped right in, placing the spoons in the dishes as if Father's holiness had somehow passed right to her. She left his seat empty at the table and made a plate for him. In that way, at least, she honored his memory. The once three-deep seating had grown sparse. Some people, like Mississippi St. Mary Bloom and Miss Dorothy Darling, were growing more animated. I think they thought they were about to be promoted. Nobody was prepared for what was really about to happen. Changes came quickly. The secretaries started leaving, until one by one, after a few weeks, they were all gone. Our organ player. Miss Sunshine Flowers, left and new people moved into our open seats at the banquet table. Men like Philip Life and Roger Klaus, who had once been a musician in Father's band came to the front. Once the visitors stopped coming to pay homage to father's body, mother left too. She traveled to the house in Sayville and stayed there for months. She told us she had to go because she feared for her life. She left me behind. A handful of followers were still there, and I still had happy, but in reality. It sucked. Happy quietly told me about what was going on in the movement, she's selling off the hotels, he said. He got his news from his sister in the city. People are being kicked out. Some of those people lived there since the twenties, and now they got no place to go. That's not right, I said. That's not what father wanted. 
happy continued, and people are getting nothing. Other people are moving out. Mississippi St. Mary Bloom is moving to Broad Street. That's where some of the secretaries went. Does she want to go? I asked, she said it's for the best. Even Happy didn't seem like himself anymore. Everything was falling apart. All the properties we had visited and all of the people we had met were disappearing from the movement. Meanwhile, all of their money ended up right in Mother Divine's coffers at the Palace Mission, the incorporated name of the Peace Mission. Nobody who lived in those properties was getting a share for their work, and some of them were so desperate for a place to go. They turned to Jim Jones of the People's Temple. He was in the early stages of forming his own communal living church. He was trying as best he could to copy father's model, but not finding quite as much success. He was just getting started and an idea had come to him to try to form a new colony somewhere outside the United States. People from the Peace Mission remembered him from his visits years before and turned to him as their new messiah. The sudden change made me feel like I had when my mom had abandoned me in that hotel on Broad Street all over again. Again, the rug was being pulled out from under me, and my life was becoming uncertain. I went through the motions, greeting followers and attending banquets, but nothing felt important anymore. When mother returned from Sayville in the summer, I hoped she would give me some guidance. When they lay the foundation for father's shrine, I want you to lay the first stone, she said, I would like that, I replied, how were things while I was away? She asked, quiet, I said. I'm really looking forward to school starting again. I can't wait to tell Kenny all. She cut me off. I don't want you going to school anymore, Tommy. What? I said loudly. I wanted to yell, but it was not allowed, there are too many girls at school. But I have my friends. I have. You are going to boarding school, where you can be better managed. But what about my friends? I begged, she didn't respond. She dismissed me and told me that was all, when I got back to Happy I begged him to do something, everything has changed Tommy. He said, but, what about my friends and sports? There's nothing I can do, Tommy. That June, Happy drove me to Church Farm School in Powley, Pennsylvania. When I saw my entrance paperwork, my heart sunk. On the line that asked for the name of my father, instead of writing the senior Tomas Garcia or Father Divine, the school simply wrote unknown. After all that I went through, I was left with no father at all. On the signature line, where they needed the permission of a guardian. Mississippi St. Mary Bloom had signed. It said she would be paying my annual tuition, $500. It also said my mom was Miss Georgia Garcia, an unemployed woman who lived at Woodmont, which was curious because I'd never seen her there, there were other lies on the forms, like that I came from a non-denominational background. I was Catholic, and there was no information about my baptism or confirmation. I understand now that this information could have left a paper trail that would have led school officials to my father. If they knew where he went to church, or where I was baptized, they would be able to see that I had a father, I still didn't know if he knew what had happened to me, or if he wanted me back, a poor academic record followed me. It was so bad that church farm school required me to take an IQ test to make sure there wasn't something wrong with me. 
After the test was scored, my IQ was reported to be over 120, and I was labeled smart but a poor performer, with an application covered in lies and half-truths. I was accepted at Church Farm School. Soon, I packed up my clothes, two suitcases full this time, double what I was left with at the Divine Lorraine Hotel, and was sent away to boarding school. Only this time I had a guitar.